Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. Even as Abraham believed the Almighty, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that the Almighty would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Then verse 10, that's our verse that we're going to look at today. Verse 10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. In the last three lessons, we looked at Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, and we centered in on our similarity with Father Abraham by faith, how that Yahweh made Abraham a promise, and Abraham believed Yahweh, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And likewise, when we believe the promise of Yahweh by faith, it's counted or reckoned to us as righteousness. Today we're just going to cover one verse, Galatians 3, verse 10. But I'd like to begin by looking at a phrase that's used three times in verses 7 through 9. Galatians 3, 7 through 9, verse 7 we see that it reads, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith. In verse 8 it says, The Almighty would justify the heathen through faith. And in verse 9 it says, So then they which be of faith. Twice we read of faith, and once we read through faith. But all three times in the Greek New Testament, the reading is ek pistis. Ek being translated as of or through, and pistis being the Greek word for faith. Literally, the translation is of faith. The King James is accurate, precise two of the times here. Probably they translated it in verse 8 as through faith because the sentence flowed better in that case. Of faith, in the sense of the place of origin, where something proceeds from or comes out of. So we read of faith three times in verses 7 through 9, and then we get to verse 10, the verse that I'm teaching on today, and we read, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not, in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, English Bibles differ on how that phrase of the works of the law gets translated. And I've chosen today to pull my teaching from the King James Version because it is a more literal translation in this case than the Holman Christian Standard Bible that I normally teach out of. And it does the best. The King James Version does the best in showing the contrast of verse 10 with verses 7 through 9. See, of the works of the law in verse 10 is contrasted to of faith in verses 7 through 9. Remember that I said of faith is ek pistis. Well, of the works of the law in Greek is ek ergon nomos. Ek of ergon works nomos law. Ek is the word that gets translated of in each of these cases. And Paul is telling us here in Galatians 3, 6 through 10, that the of faith group is blessed with Abraham who was of faith, while the of the works of the law group is cursed 
because of what is written in the law. Now, what does Paul mean when he writes, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse? Do we place ourselves under a curse for seeking to obey Yahweh's law? I remember when I was a little boy, and I loved to go to my grandparents' house. And my dad, usually it was my dad, sometimes it was my mama, but my dad would always say, Matthew and Miranda, I have one sibling, my sister Miranda, he would say, Matthew and Miranda, be on your best behavior while you're at grandmama and granddaddy's house. That's what he would tell me every time. And if we behaved, we were blessed. If we misbehaved, Sister Lise, we were cursed. That is, we were spanked. Hopefully mama spanked us and not dad, right? A common way that Galatians 3 verse 10 gets misread is that if a person seeks to obey the law, they're cursed. But that doesn't make any sense. The reason that doesn't make any sense is because that's like saying that my sister and I would get in trouble for being good at our grandparents' house. doesn't make any sense. So does Paul teach here in Galatians 3.10 that if we make an effort, if Matthew makes an effort to honor his parents, or you do, if you make an effort to honor your parents, your mom or your dad, that you're cursed? Ask yourself that. What about if you speak the truth in a court of law? Are you cursed? Are you cursed for resting and going to the synagogue on the Sabbath? Are you cursed for keeping the Passover? Well, of course not. You're not cursed for any of these things. All of these things are good. All of these things are right. And Paul was an educated Israelite man that knew well the law of Moses, which speaks of blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Just like my dad said, be on your best behavior and we would be blessed. So, what is Paul's point in Galatians 3 verse 10? Well, you can read a verse all by itself. And I'm finding this more and more. I had a good discussion with Brother TJ about this last week. You can read a verse all by itself, but you will never, ever, ever get the complete truth of a Bible verse by just looking at that one verse. Especially when it's contained in a cohesive letter like Galatians. So I have to stress to always, always, always study the context of the book that you're reading. And I think it's just as important to study the culture and the surrounding historical context of the time in which the book was written. Because what I say today and the verbiage that I use today may not be the verbiage that was used even 100 years ago. So you have to study in context. And as we've been going through this epistle, this is the 23rd sermon that I've taught in the book of Galatians. And Yahweh's will, if he lets me live long enough, we'll go all the way through the end of six chapters. But what we've seen in this epistle is that Judahite believers, Jewish believers in Yeshua the Messiah, there was some Judahite believers that were distorting or twisting the gospel, the message about Christ, the gospel that Paul preached to the nations, those outside of the Jewish faith. The nations were people who grew up in homes that did not observe the Torah, the law. The heathens, these non-Judahite heathens, they were repenting of their sins. Paul was preaching the gospel to them in areas like Galatia and Asia Minor and Cappadocia and 
all of these places that we read about in Paul's missionary journeys. And Paul would preach, and these heathen people that didn't know anything about the Lord, didn't know anything about Prophet Moses, were not raised to believe the way that the Judahites were raised. They were hearing the gospel, and they were repenting of their sins, and they were placing their faith in the promised Messiah, and they were being filled with the Holy Spirit. But they weren't Judahites. They weren't Jewish. They were uncircumcised. People like Cornelius in Acts 10 or Titus in Galatians 2. Now Paul was okay with this. James, Peter, and John, the elders, were okay with this. May I say that Yahweh was okay with this because it's Yahweh that gave Cornelius his Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 10. So Yahweh, the Father, had to be okay with this. But some of the Judahite believers, the Jewish believers in the Messiah, some of them were not okay with this. They were telling the Gentiles, no, 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 you must be circumcised. That is, you must become a proselyte to the Jewish faith in order to have your sins forgiven, in order for salvation to take place and be a true son of Abraham or a true daughter of Abraham. You must go through a conversion. Well, these Judahite believers were placing their trust in the works of the law and not all the works of the law. They were not placing their trust in all of the works of the law, but particular works of the law that outwardly distinguished them from the nations, starting with circumcision, a legal conversion to Judaism. And then branch out from there, works like kosher eating or wearing tassels or a phylactery or things of that nature. They were placing their trust for their salvation in those works that most clearly marked them off as being separated from the heathens. We're better than they are. Look at us on the outside. They're not saved. They're still heathens. They're second class. We're better than them. Even though Cornelius had placed faith in Messiah, even though Yahweh had given Cornelius his Holy Spirit, no, he's still second class citizen. He must be circumcised or he's not saved. My dad one time told me a story about a time that he was called to be the minister of music at a camp meeting. I grew up in the Pentecostal faith, and so we had a lot of camp meetings, a lot of tent revivals, Sister Dorothy. And my dad had a beard. And this particular church that he and his pastor were going to didn't believe that men should have beards. You've never heard of that. It actually does exist in some churches. I know that seems strange, but such is the case. And my dad said that when he walked into that church on the first night of revival, no one greeted him kindly. As a matter of fact, he said he got up and played the piano during song service and sang, and everybody just sat there. Nobody clapped, nobody sang or anything. And he knew why it was. It's because he had a beard. And they didn't believe that a man should have a beard. So my dad went and talked to his pastor after a couple of nights of this happening. And he told the pastor, he said, look, I'll shave if you want me to, and we'll have a good old-fashioned Pentecostal revival. But this particular preacher didn't have a problem with my dad's beard, and so he said, look, no big deal with me, it's up to you. And so my dad decided not to shave it first, and the revival went on, and it was a bearded revival, all right? Well, towards the end, my dad felt like he was causing, you know, things not to go well for the revival. So people were grieving about what they felt was unholy. 
was my dad's beard, and he shaved it off towards the end of the camp meeting. And dad said as he walked into the door of the church, people said, praise the Lord, brother Eric. Glory to God. It's good to see you because he was now clean shaven. The reason that I tell this story is because they judge my dad's salvation by one particular work that they held up above all others. Now, I believe that their law was man-made tradition. I don't think there's any Bible verse that says that a man should not have a beard. But even if it had been a true law of Yahweh that maybe my dad had not grown into yet, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. Not of yourself, not of works that any man should boast. Salvation is not by an outward work of law that a person may not have grown into or developed into in their walk or in their sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which we become more like Christ. And believers produce different levels of fruit. Yeshua said some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, right? So even if my dad was disobedient to a true law, a biblical law, it was really a shame for the way that he was treated at that particular church. I've seen it at other churches. I've, I've experienced it myself. And this is the mindset of the Pharisees. This is the mindset of the Judaizers. So we have the Judaizers versus uh, the Apostle Paul. And the Judaizers insisted that the Gentiles who were turning to the Almighty by coming to faith in Christ, they insisted that they become ek ergon nomos. Learn a little Greek here. You sound intelligent when you talk to your friends about the Bible, right? Ek ergon nomos. That means works of the law, of the works of the law. That was the Judaizers. Paul is teaching that the way that a Gentile becomes a son or daughter of Abraham is ek pistis, or of faith, by faith in the promise of Yahweh. So once again, Galatians 3.9 King James Version, So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. Why did being of the works of the law place one under a curse? Uh, let's examine this deeper. Paul quotes from Deuteronomy. Paul quotes Deuteronomy 27 at the end of Galatians 3 verse 10 and he says, For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Deuteronomy 27, if you read that chapter, it's a chapter that places a curse on those who violate the law, not those who obey it. It says things like this. It says, Cursed is the one who leads a blind person astray on the road. So if you see me out in public leading a blind person astray on the road, are you going to think well of Brother Matthew or not so well of Brother Matthew? Obviously not so well. Deuteronomy 27 says, Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's boundary marker. So according to Deuteronomy chapter 27, a person who lived in sin was cursed. But a person who lived in obedience was blessed. It's the same thing and you go over into Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's the blessings and the curses chapter for the nation of Israel. Paul's point comes at the end of Deuteronomy 27, which he quotes in Galatians 3.10. Paul actually quotes from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And Paul says, Deuteronomy 27 says, Cursed is every man who does not abide in all the words of this law to do them. 
In other words, Yahweh's point and Paul's point is this. You cannot just obey a few works of the law and think that that saves you from your sins. We are to live, live, that is practice, all the words of the law. Not some of the words of the law. The Judaite influencers, the Judaizers as they're often called, were concerned with their works of the law. Circumcision, a few other aspects, cleaning the outside of the cup. But that does not mean that they live lives of repentance and devotion to the Torah. It was not in their heart. So therefore they were of the works of the law, meaning we can just do a few of these things, jump through a few of these hoops, and that means that we're saved. Even if we don't want to do it in our heart, if we don't desire to do it in our heart, it doesn't matter, we're jumping through these hoops, we look holy, therefore we are holy. That's the Judaizer's mindset. But what is the Torah, which is the Hebrew word for law or instructions or guidance? What is the Torah? Well, we often reduce the Torah to eating kosher or wearing tassels or being circumcised. And I believe in all of those things, by the way. I eat kosher, I wear tassels. Each of my sons were circumcised on the eighth day, as the Abrahamic covenant talks about in Genesis 17. But people reduce the Torah to those few works of the law. But that's not where the Torah ends. We forget that feeding the hungry is the Torah. We forget that clothing the naked is the Torah. We forget that visiting the sick is the Torah. Respecting the elderly is the Torah. Hugging your wife is the Torah. And Yeshua says in Matthew 7 verse 12, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. And most people quote that and they stop right there. But he goes on and he says, for this is the law and the prophets. See, Yeshua didn't come up with anything new when he said, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That was not a new teaching. Matter of fact, there were other Jewish rabbis that taught this even before Yeshua was ever on the scene as a rabbi or as a teacher. So anything that you want for people to do to you, you do unto them. Sometimes I have trouble knowing how to treat people in certain situations. I'm worried that I'm going to do something wrong and I'm walking on eggshells. And then Yahweh gave me a revelation sometime back and it was very simple, but I just thought, Sister Maureen, I thought, well, how would you want to be treated in this situation? And however you would want them to treat you, you do that to them, Matthew. And it was like, whoa, why didn't I think of that before? It's been in the Bible all this time. This is the law and the prophets. So next time you're wondering, somebody's going through a hard time, somebody's going through something in their life, they need some help, and you're thinking, what would you have me do for them, Yahweh? Think about it like this. What would I want them to do for me if I was in their situation? And then you go do that for them. You'll never go wrong. That's the business model that I use. When I work for people, I think, how would I want to be treated? And I'm going to treat them in that way. You don't really need to know any other model. I teach my sons when we work. That's the only model you need to know. You do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And you won't go wrong. See, the Torah is a way of life. Not a few outward laws. Just being circumcised doesn't mean that you're a Torah keeper. It doesn't. Just wearing tassels doesn't mean that you're a Torah keeper. Torah is a lifestyle that flows from a heart that desires to please our Heavenly Father. It's a lifestyle that you take on 
yourself because a disciple wants to be like his teacher. And Yeshua is our teacher. And disciple means student or pupil. And we learn up under Him. And as, as we watch Him live, we say, okay, I want to, want to be like that. Not that we're like that perfectly. Not that we are little Christs running around. But we strive to be like that, see. Amen. When I grew up in the Pentecostal church, sometimes you would hear about Sunday Christians. That was a very common thing. Sunday Christians from the pulpit. And the preacher would talk about people who came to church on Sunday because that's what they were supposed to do. The preacher I sat up under said, everybody comes to church on Sunday morning. And he said, everybody that loves the preacher comes back to church for Sunday night. Everybody that's saved comes on Wednesday night. (laughs) That's what he would say. Well, that's what mama and daddy always did. That's what grandma and granddaddy always did. So we go to church. Put your offering in the plate, stand up and sing, bow your head, close your eyes for the prayer, then walk out the door and forget about everything until next time to come to church. That's what my pastor called a Sunday Christian. And the truth is, that's not a Christian. It's not. That's someone that goes through a few motions and they're treating Christ like he's a little trinket that they can pull out and look at for a little bit and then when they're through looking at him, they can shove him back somewhere where they don't have to look at him anymore and we can live our life any way that we want to live our life. Now transfer that back to the Judaizers. Think about that. Transfer it back to the Judaizers. They observed the outward works of the law and that was it. There was no heart. There was no faith. Did you know that you can have works without faith? James talks about how that a man can say he has faith and have no works. Can that faith save him? It's a rhetorical. The answer is no. That faith can't save him because it's not genuine faith. Genuine faith saves, but just spoken faith does not save. But you can have works without faith. Even a thief can decide that he's not going to steal because a police is watching. That doesn't mean that he doesn't want to steal. The desire is in his heart to commit theft. But he chooses in that occasion not to commit theft. Why? Not because he wants to do what's right, but because, hey, watch out, there's the cop. That's works without faith. In Galatians 6, 12-13, Paul writes this, Of the Judaizers, Those who want to make a good showing in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Stop right there for a second in verse 12. We have to remember, believing in the cross or the torture stake of Christ was not the same then in that locale as it is now. You can go on the street. If somebody knows you're a Christian, they may think you're crazy, but you won't get put to death or put in prison. It's not always been like that. And the Judaizers say, we don't want to suffer persecution. And we're talking about true persecution, not somebody smacking you on the wrist or saying a bad word to you, but imprisonment or possibly death by stones. We don't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ, so we're going to force these nations, these Gentiles, to be circumcised and then we're going to say, boom, you got your stamp and now you're saved. But verse 13 goes on to say, for even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves. However, they want you to be circumcised in order to do what? Boast about your flesh. I got that man circumcised. 
This text tells us that the people that were of the works of the law actually didn't keep the law. (laughs) Galatians 6 verse 13. Yeah, they kept a few outward works, but they weren't genuine Torah keepers. So the Judaizers were under the curse of the law written in Deuteronomy 27 because they were not living lives out of faith. Their obedience did not proceed from faith. Their works did not grow out of a faithful heart. They were not devoted to Yahweh. They had outward works, but that's it. They had no faith. If I were to treat my wife harshly all week long, all month long, let's say, let's make it a little bit better. All month long, I treat her harshly. I never pay attention to her. I never provide for her materially. I never tell her I love you. I never hold her hand. I never spend any time with her. I never tell her how beautiful she is inside and out. And then at the end of the month, after I've treated her that way for 30 days, consistently treated her that way, harshly for 30 days, at the end of that month, I bring her roses. And I expect it all to go away. I expect everything to be fine. And I think she should just immediately swoon over me because after all, look at the roses. They're beautiful. I picked them out. I paid good money for the roses. Look at the wrapping. I got them from the best company. What do you think that she would say? I'm afraid to think about what she might say. Amen? (laughs) I don't want flowers, Matthew. I want you. You think that might be what she might say? I want you. I don't want these flowers. I want you. Well, see, in this case, the gesture of the roses is equivalent to the works of the law for the Judaizers. Yahweh is not interested in someone who is of the works of the law. That is, someone who relies on a few gestures on the outside, and then they're right with the Almighty. Yahweh's children are those who operate their lives out of faith, like Father Abraham. They produce covenant faithfulness. You know, Abraham was not only a man of faith, he was a faithful man. But the reason he was a faithful man is because he was a man of faith. It goes hand in hand. I'm not talking about being sinless. I'm not talking about never committing sin. I'm talking about penitence, repentance, being faithful and always growing in grace and in knowledge in our Lord and Savior. Once again, the Torah is a way of life. It's not just a few gestures. It's not just the roses. It's a way of life. And if you're not living your life for Yahweh, if you're not centering everything that you do around Him, and anything that goes on in your life, you have to question, what would my Heavenly Father have me to do in this? What would my Abba, what would my loving Dad in Heaven have me to do in this situation? If that's not your life, do not think that you can just show up to church and make it all okay. That's not how it works. You're just trying to bring the roses instead of yourself. Though you spread your hands in prayer to Yahweh, He says, I will not listen. Stop bringing useless offerings to Me, you pretender. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. And those are all quotations from Holy Scripture. You will never be saved if you're of the works of the law like the Judaizers. You will never be saved by just going to church once a week, singing a few songs, bowing your head in prayer. An unbeliever, an unregenerate person can do that. 
I love the song. And we sang the song at a concert one time by Tim McGraw, Humble and Kind. It's a beautiful song. There's a line in there I don't like. I sing it because it's part of the song, but I don't like the line. And it says, go to church because your mama says to. Now, I love my mama, but I don't go to church because my mama says to. And if you're only coming to church because mama says to, you're not coming. You've got to be of faith. You've got to have the desire. You've got to have the want to. Not just to show. You'll never be saved if you're of the works of the law. You'll never be saved by making a set of tassels and putting them on your shirt or getting circumcised or dressing a biblical way or something like that. You'll never be saved by just doing those things. That's not what saves a man or a woman. You must be of faith. You must have this salvation on the inside and not just look like you've got it on the outside. Without the new heart on the inside, anyhow, you can't obey Yahweh's law. The new heart's given. Ezekiel 36, my favorite Bible verse, it's given to what? Cause you to obey. Without the new heart, you're just going through the motions. Yahweh's law will always be something that you have to do instead of something that you want to do. I've witnessed to people before, unbelievers, and they say, I know, Brother Matthew, I know I'm not doing right. I know I need to start doing this and I need to stop doing this and all that. That's an unregenerate person. That's someone that doesn't have a new heart. They're not born from above. They're not born again. It's because they're still loving the things that Yahweh hates and they're hating the things that Yahweh loves. But when you get a new heart, when you get a new heart, it makes you want to love your brother. It makes you want to not steal. It makes you want to honor your mom and dad. It makes you want to keep the commandments. And it's no longer a have to. Do I have to do that? No, it's I want to do that because I have a heavenly Father up above who loves me and I know that He only tells me what's best for me. He'll never steer me wrong. The new heart wants to obey. It's not a question of do I have to. You live by every word that proceeds from His mouth. And so you might ask me, Brother Matthew, how do I get this on the inside? How do I get it? And the answer is, it is a gift. (laughs) I can't put it on you. I can't pray it into you. It's a gift. Yahweh says, I will give you a new heart. I will give it to you. So if you don't think that you have it, pray that Yahweh grant to you a repentant heart of faith. Because the Bible says that grace is a gift. Faith is a gift. Repentance is a gift. I was sharing with Sister Julie a couple of services ago after the Sabbath service how that in Acts chapter 16, when Paul and company went down to the riverside where there was a a place of prayer and there were some women and there was a one named Lydia there and she was a seller of purple cloth and Paul began to preach the gospel to her and the Bible says that the Lord opened her heart to be able to respond and receive the things that Paul was saying to her. And she did, and then she and her household were baptized. That's why we pray, Lord, open their heart. So it's a gift. It's a gift. Pray that Yahweh gives you the gift of the new heart, and you'll be filled with faith that desires to obey His commandments. We'll be back here the same day and time next week. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer.
Yahweh Father, help all of us. Grant us faith to serve you faithfully. Rebuke us, Father, where we need it. Discipline us, Father, in your mercy and your love. Yahweh, I do not want to look holy. I want to be holy. Make me of faith like Abraham. Let it not be a show in me or in, or in us. Let it not be a show. Let it be genuine. I want to be like your son, Yeshua. Grant us that gift of faith. Amen. Yahweh bless you. Shalom.